Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we stopped in the middle of it. Didn't want to, but ran out of time. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't want to rush through the next few bits because they were so very important. Without going through everything that we did last week, remember again that um, this chapter begins with Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. He asks him a question. He also says to him, we know that you are a man sent from God. And he says, you know, because of the signs that you do. And then Jesus, and I want to read from verse 3, Jesus answered and say, said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, that just spins Nicodemus out. He, you know, he noticed that he says, unless you are born again, you can't even see. All right, and then he, Nicodemus says, how can a per person be born when he is old? Remember, we went through all of that. And Jesus said, most assuredly, verse 5, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Remember again, we talked about the water being the Word of God. You need the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Those are the two things you need to get saved. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. All right. And so, verse 6, Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Verse 7, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, you know, people have argued about this forever. And I don't know why, because Jesus said, we didn't say this. You know, people say, oh, are you one of those born again people? You better be too. <laughs> Jesus said, you must be born again. He didn't say that's an option. He said, you have to do this. Who is he talking to? A person that is religious, a person that does everything, as far as we know, was trying to do everything right. Amen. He, this wasn't a questionable reputation person. You know, this person was an upstanding citizen. All right. And he says to this person, you, normally you'd pat them on the back and say, Nicodemus, you're doing really well, dude. Keep it up. I said, I would have said I wouldn't have gone down this road. <laughs> okay. Except Jesus understood that it wasn't about good works. Jesus understood that it was about a recreated spirit being able to go to heaven. If you're not born of God... If you're not born from above, that's what that word actually means in the Greek. It actually says born from above. It just doesn't say born again. It says born from above. In order to go to heaven, you have to be born of heaven. Otherwise, you can't go there. You're with me. And that's why he said, you, you want to go there, you need to get born again. Otherwise, you're never going to make it there. No matter how many good things you do, it will not change, listen, it will not change your spirit and the miracle that is needed to stand in the presence of God. Did you get that? Okay. All right, Jesus then goes on to talk about the wind. We talked about that last week and my blower and I run around. And, <laughs> and Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And Jesus then talks to him about him being a teacher and you know, he says, what I'm testifying to you comes from something that I know, not, not something I'm guessing. Because, see, they were into, oh, well, what does that person think? And what does that person think? What, it was about what everybody thought. Jesus saying, you guys are guessing, I'm telling you. Yeah, that's right. Okay? This is how it is. And so uh, he, he goes on to say, in verses 12 and 13, he talks about earthly things and he talks about heavenly things and says, listen, the reason that I know about these things is because I came from there. Again, the reason why the Apostle John writes this. 
to let us know that he in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was with God. The word was with God. And the word was God. Are you all with me? So he he's bringing knowledge to us that is firsthand. This is not guesswork. Oh, hallelujah. Then he goes in to talk about something very interesting. This is kind of where we left off in verses 14 and 15. When he talked about Moses, he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is very significant because he is now going back to an incident that took place in the Old Testament. I dealt with this last week a little bit, but let me bring it to your remembrance. You know, the children of Israel were complaining. <laughs> Normally do. Okay. <laughs> they just continue to do this. And so they opened the door for the day devil and so they are bitten by serpents that caused them to die and it was because you know let me say this again as soon as you shut the light out the darkness comes in there's nothing else there's no middle ground there's no gray in this are you all here and so you turn away from the light and there's darkness and so they opened the door to darkness and darkness rushed in and began to kill them in the form of serpents. And it's very interesting what God says to do. He says, you want to be redeemed from this thing. He, he got Moses to fashion a, 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 a serpent of brass on a pole. And you know what this, the incredible thing is? That serpent represented Jesus Christ taking our sins. It's a horrible thing. But that's what happened to him. You know the cross wasn't pleasant. It was a horrible thing, okay? And that's what that Paul represented. And it's very interesting. The reason that Jesus says this is that he's going to make a connection between this verse and the next verse. He says, in the same way, the children of Israel looked at that Paul and the serpent on it and got healed. Verse 15. Let me turn, let me turn, let me turn. He says that whoever, see this is how he joins it. He says that whoever believes in him, Jesus Christ, should not perish. But instead of just having life, he said shall have eternal life. So he took Nicodemus back to a story that he understood. That he knew that when the children of Israel looked at that, they got healed. In the same way, if you look at Jesus, if you receive Jesus, you will receive eternal life. Wow, and he made the connection. Then comes the most famous verse. Hallelujah. Where are we? I went past it. I, I've got so much here. I, I've kept a lot for Bible college. <laughs> he says, for God so loved the world. See, now he's going to take it back. Because previous to this, okay, he has just dealt with the Jewish nation. He has just talked about Moses, the Israelites. To which Nicodemus says, yeah, and rightly so. Because we're God's chosen. And he's not being obnoxious, but that's how they think. And so now Jesus does something very interesting. He said in the same way that the Israelites looked on that, God healed, and can look at the Son and receive eternal life. He now goes on and says, for God so loved the world. That would have flipped Nicodemus out as well. He would have, see, they always believed that the Messiah would come and they, he would judge all the nations that were being mean to Israel. And they would come under punishment. And Israel, oh sweet Israel, no matter how much they complained and went into idolatry and everything else, they wouldn't be judged. 
Oh no, they would be petted and said, yes, I'm here and I'll, I'll look after you and I'll feed you and I'll do all the things you want me to do. You don't have to worship me or anything. Yeah, that's how they think. You know, they always thought that they're just, you know, God's favorite. And so they just believed they could do anything as long as it wasn't too heinous and get to heaven. But bless God, some other nation, look at them funny. They better go to hell. That was how they thought. And it's really interesting because the Old Testament saints refuted that thinking. But you know, it's, it's selective, isn't it? We want to want to see the stuff we want to see. We don't care about what it actually says. And that's how the Jewish nation was. And Jesus is now bringing something out. And thank God he brings this out because we're included in this. When he says, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. The original text says his one and only son. I really like that. That whoever believes in him. Wasn't just the Jews. And see the other thing that the Jews had. Was this kind of elitist mentality. That's why they had this. You know this. Um, place. That where they could go into the holy of holies. The Gentiles would worship outside. Where all the cows and everything were. Remember the temple? That's the reason why Jesus went through the temple and cleared it out. Because he said, no, there is no second place here. God loves the whole world. You're with me. Everybody gets the same access to God. And God gets the same access to them. God doesn't come and say, "Woo, not a Jew. <laughs> Over there, back behind the line, please. Behind the line, thank you very much. You know, one of the things that I realized was that, you know, when it says, and he healed them all, you know, I looked, I looked at some of them. My goodness, I wouldn't heal them all. No, no, I'm being honest with you. I would have said, no, go away. Remember, he knew all men. Think, think about this. In spite of knowing exactly what was going on in people's lives, he still healed them all. I think that is extraordinary, and I think that shows us something. Your life before God, catch this, okay? Pray that you get this. Your life before God and how you behave is between you and God, nothing to do with the devil. Do you hear me? Healing is the children's bread. The devil will try to tell you, oh, God won't heal you because. And preachers will say the same thing. That's why I said you have to be so careful who you listen to. They'll make a good case, but can I say this to you? If Jesus healed them all, and he knew, he knew there were some of them were really bad, they would reject him. When the time came, they would turn their back. So when you hit John chapter 6, you're going to begin to see this. All right, so I'm giving you a little preview of things ahead. But if he knew all of this, and he still, in spite of whatever they had done to cause the sickness to come into their life, he healed them. And in spite of the fact that he knew they were going to turn from him, he still healed them. Which tells me something. When he prayed, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he meant exactly that. He said, there's no sickness in heaven, so there will not be sickness down here. That came with the curse. So you're sick, we heal you. Now your lifestyle, that's another thing. Now you need to deal with that because you keep opening the door for the devil to come in. But I'm not going to tell you because of your lifestyle, I'm, you're not going to get healed. Are you getting this? It'll just keep letting it in. 
So we tell you to change your lifestyle because after a while, the devil will convince you not to go get healed. Because you're going to do it again anyway. So just learn to live with it. I mean, how many times are they going to heal you? Are you all with me? Lies. They're all lies of the devil. His mercy, God's mercy, is new every morning. Hallelujah. Amen? And you need to know that. All right. That's what it means. God so loved the world. Are you all here? Okay. Now we go to verse 16, 17. All right. <laughs> he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Do you see that? Do you see that he goes straight away to saying that because he knows the Jews think this way. The Jews thought that God sent his son to condemn the world, to judge them. And he said, <laughs> so Nicodemus, number one, his little brain is flipping right now. First, he talks about being born again. It's like, dear, how is that going to work? Number two, he says, you know, God loves everybody. Nicodemus says, what? And now he says, I didn't come to condemn them. Another, what? You know, poor little Nicodemus, he's probably just rolling in it. You know, just going, oh, what is going on over here? Are you, sh you really from God? I don't know about what I said to begin with now. But, you know, we know that later on, Nicodemus is going to put all of this together because him and Joseph of Arimathea are going to come and get his body in spite of whatever is going on. All the Jewish opposition, he's going to go and say, we're taking his body, like it or not. You crucified him without telling us. Do you know that's what they did? Nicodemus is there. He would have thrown a fit. This, this court that they had appointed was all just done in the most illegal way possible. Are you with me? So, you know, oh, Nicodemus really shines, man. But right now, we're struggling. <laughs> it's like all of us. When God speaks to us things that just blow our mind, takes a little while for the thing to settle. But then it settles. If you stay with God, it'll settle. And it will find a permanent place in your heart and in your life. Amen? And so he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why might be? Because they have to believe. Verse 18, he says, he who believes in him is not condemned. So here is the part of faith now. I told you before, in verse 15, he talked about belief. Now we're talking about all of us. All right, and he's talking about the whole world. And this is the only way in. You don't have to climb a mountain. Hallelujah. Don't have to do circumcision or anything. Hallelujah. Okay, none of that outside stuff. It's all about the heart. Where do you believe from? In here. Therefore, he's saying there's only one thing that you need. Your heart. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't say you have to have an IQ of 300. It's, I don't know if there's something like that even. Okay, what's the highest IQ? I don't know. 100 something? Okay. You don't need a high IQ. You can have no IQ. But if... <laughs> Hello. But if, you know, <laughs> but if you have a heart and if, you, if something is pumping in there, you got a heart. To, to, to be alive, you have to have a heart. 
Are you all with me? And we're not talking about the blood problem, obviously, but, you know, that's where the center of you is. Okay? And you need to understand something. That's all you need. That central part of you saying, yeah, I believe, I receive. I can tell you something. You receive Jesus Christ. Your IQ will shoot up if you let it. (laughs) I'll leave you with that one. All right, verse 18. Again, he says, but... He says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the uh, only begotten Son of God. See, the name stood for the person. And so he's saying for those that don't believe, for those who reject, and these are going to be the Jews that John is, uh, excuse me, Jesus is going to refer to in John chapter 8, verse 44, when he says, you are of your father the devil. Okay, only because they have been plotting his murder. And he knew, he knew what was going on. And he said, you are not repenting. You are digging a, a deeper and deeper hole as you're going. Now, not Nicodemus and his group, okay? But there were these others. And... We need to see something here. He says, listen, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. He says, you don't have to wait till the end to know how you are going to be judged. You can know right now. If you receive me, there's no judgment. It's finished. There will be no judgment for you. If you reject me, Judgment is waiting. In fact, it has already taken place now. You don't have to wait till the end. Right now, the hammer has fallen. Are you getting this? This is what he's saying. Verse 19. Now he's going to say why people are going to reject him. He says, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness. I want you to see that. Men loved darkness. The light came... But they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. See, people that are evil and want to live in that darkness don't like the light. The Jews were, you know, at this time, the Jewish leaders were doing some very bad things. Okay, these ones anyway. The ones that want to condemn him. See, this is what happens. You either love Jesus or you hate him. You can't just be neutral about him. Do you know why? Because he brings things to the surface. And you either face it and repent, or you go deeper and get worse. You can't, you know, there's, there's, like I said, there's no middle ground. Let's continue. He says in verse 20, he says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light. I want you to see the word practicing, please. He didn't say that if you did a little bit of evil, you're in trouble. Okay? People think, oh, I did the wrong thing. Oh, I thought the wrong thing. Oh, I I had this horrible, whatever. Okay? Listen, notice the word he says, for everyone practicing evil, on top of, can I please add this? On top of rejecting him. Remember he has already talked about, if you reject me, then you get to this place where you're practicing evil on top of that rejection. Can you see how it's piling up now? Because if you take one without the other, then you're going to say any Christian that has a bad habit of, you know, a sin habit is going to hell is not right. Because the people that go to hell are the ones that Jesus says, I never knew you. He didn't say, I knew you for a while. And then darn it. What happened? 
know, you were doing so well. Never. If he says, I never knew you, it means you were never saved. You never received him as Lord. Whatever you've been saying is a lie. Did you get that? Everybody worries about that passage of scripture that they, they said, we're doing all these things in your name. And he says, I never knew you. And it's like Jesus had a failing memory. And he, you know, they got saved and they were doing all these amazing things. And Jesus goes, what, huh? Who are you? Send them to hell. Oh, wait. Oh, too late. They're gone. Okay. <laughs> I used to have a teacher like that. He couldn't remember anything. You'd have to write things down. Jesus isn't like that. He remembers. Even the stuff you forget, he remembers. He'll remind you of things that you did that were a blessing that you totally forgot. You know why? Because we are meant to forget. We're not meant to keep a track of all the good we do. We do that because he remembers. We don't. Amen? Because we do everything as unto him. All right. <clears throat> so he says here, and I really love this. He says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light. Notice that they hate the light. They don't just, you know, it's a little bit uncomfortable. They actually hate it. All right? And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Do you see why now? You know, somebody said this. I just want to read a tiny little bit. Leon Morris says this. He says, to come to the light means to have one's darkness shown for what it is. And to have it rebuked for what it is. No one likes this uncomfortable process. Persistent wrongdoers least of all. Listen, listen to this now. There is a moral basis behind much unbelief. The people that say, I don't believe in God, don't say that because they don't believe there's a God. They say that because they don't want to be held responsible for their lifestyle. Did you get that? And so they make up excuses and they come up with all kinds of theories. Evolution and anything else they can think of. To try and show that we just came from a primordial little soup or something. And we just suddenly, somewhere, somehow, some, you know, I mean, miraculously, quote unquote, something had to appear to start all this. Of course, they won't ever explain where that came from. And but somehow it came together and life came. You know, they've tried to bring life from lifeless things and they can't. It's impossible. Life comes from life. Do you hear me? Without life, there's no life. Sounds stupid, but that's the way it is. And yet they can't figure this one. They can't figure one equation. Life equals life. No life equals no life. There is, there is no such thing as no life evolved into life. Doesn't work. Even their equations won't balance out that way. Did you get what I said? It's a moral problem. We don't want it because it's uncomfortable. We don't want to think there is something bigger than us watching over us. Until we get in trouble. Now suddenly we need help. Now suddenly we're ready to believe anything. 
until we're out of trouble. Now again, it is being a little inconvenient. <laughs> Sorry, I use my, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? It, this is the way we live. We cycle. Do you know what God wants you to do? Is to get to that place and move forward from there, not cycle back. Because he wants you to come to a place we are, where you are speaking to things and where you are exercising faith in God and the faith of God and beginning to change this planet to the way it should be. Not leave it the way it is. And have everybody blame God for it. Verse 21. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. I want you to notice that when you come into the light, when you have your deeds seen, the things that you're doing right, people see and understand there is a miraculous aspect to what you do. You need to understand that everything that you do has a supernatural aspect to it. It needs to. And that's what people see. That's what people, they may not talk to you and tell you, but they'll notice something about you. Amen. Do you know you have a light on the inside of you? Do you know Jesus didn't say that you are trying to be the light of the world? And some of you are just kind of not making it. You're more like a little glow stick that kind of lost its glow. Been shaken too much? <laughs> okay, or whatever. No, he said you are the light. He said the problem is some of you are sticking yourself under a little bushel. Because you can't turn the thing off. Hello. <laughs> okay. You are a light that cannot be turned off. You can get dim, but you can't be turned off. Some of you want to go hide, but you can't be turned off. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. Now, Jesus didn't baptize. Because if we go forward to John chapter 4, we are in John chapter 3 right now. In the next chapter, in the first three verses, it clears it up. Let me read those three verses for you right now because we'll get back to them. But so you know. It says in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptizing and making more disciples than John. Verse 2, brackets, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. Verse 3, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Okay, so we are, we are told by the apostle John himself that Jesus never baptized anybody. Do you know why? Because then everybody would go, oh, you were baptized by John. I got baptized by the Messiah. You got, you know, B rating. I got an A rating. See? Jesus is smart. <laughs> he said, I'm not touching any of you. Because John said something. He said when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he said that, see, that was the whole point of John's baptism, was to prepare them for him. Do you understand? It was a preparation, and it was nothing to do with the Jews' cleansing you know, rituals, which we're going to find out in a minute. Let's just keep reading, shall we? Okay, verse 23. He says, now John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim. This was north of where Jesus was, okay? 
and it, uh, and it was sort of in easy reach of four different provinces, all right? Because there was much water there. It, it actually, in the literal text, says a group of seven springs. Interesting, yeah. And they came and were baptized. The literal text, now this is important, the literal text here says they kept coming and being baptized, which means there was a steady flow. It never stopped. Now, this is important because later, in a minute, you know, John's disciples are going to complain. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Verse 24. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, a lot of the Gospels leave this out. I think in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11 to 12, seems to be that, you know, as soon as Jesus uh, came out of the wilderness experience, John got, um, uh, was sent to prison, was arrested. Okay? But it wasn't. There was a time when Jesus and John both had ministries going at the same time. Pretty awesome, huh? <laughs> okay? And so John makes this very clear. And verse 25, then there rose a, a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. I really love this. You know, again, the Apostle John just calls them the Jews. They're always causing problems. Are they Jews? That's a problem. <laughs> okay, so now I want you to notice, he says there was a dispute arose between John's disciples and, and, and the Jews about purification. So see, now, this is the little delegation, the little committee that's coming and going, oh, what right do you have to baptize people? Where's your qualifications? Where are your credentials? What university did you go to? What synagogue school did you go to? What pastor can recommend you? Where's the letter? You shouldn't be doing this. See, people care about their little qualifications and their little things, and God just doesn't care about all of them. He just takes somebody out in the desert and goes, here, do it here. That's why he was in the desert. Have you ever wondered why he's out there? Besides all the water, he just wanted to get away from the synagogues. Because he just got away from religion and got to where God was. Okay. Verse 26, here it comes. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, they don't even mention Jesus' name, you know, that guy, to whom you have testified, by the way, shouldn't have done that. Behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Right after it said that they kept coming to John. See how people get petty? And they're like, oh. We're the baptism ministry. We're the first church of baptizing. What is he doing? This is our ministry. Go find your own. Do something else. This is us. <laughs> See how people get petty? As leaders, you, you know, people will fight for stuff that they shouldn't be fighting for. And leaders need to, to make sure that they take care of that. And get them back into a place of right thinking, right heart, right attitude, right spirit. Hello. Move on. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, let's go to the next verse. Verse 27, wherever it is. Oh, there it is. John answered and said, I love this. He says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Boy, live by those words. John is now going to give us some things that we just need to take to heart. Number one, whatever ministry you're called to, whatever you are doing, it's come from heaven. People can't throw you out. 
people can't say, well, you're not doing so well. We want to turf you and get another one and call that a pastor. It doesn't work that way. Those that God has called, God will anoint. Those that you have called, forget about it. So many people, I was, I was listening to a, a, a series of, of messages, and uh, this particular minister was talking about those people that had gone to ministry and were really struggling. You know, you can, you can have challenges in ministry, but there's one challenge that you can't overcome. Listen to me. It's if somebody else told you you're meant to be a pastor, and you never had that on your heart, and they put you in there, and you were never meant to be there, you will struggle and you will never get out of that. Do you know why? You're not meant to be there. Meant to be somewhere else. Amen. But when God calls you, even though they throw you out, even though they say we're excommunicating you or anything else that they want to do, if God called you, His anointing will stay with you. God won't look at it and go, oh, the church threw you out. Let me take that anointing back. <laughs> no, that's just a person going somewhere to find, you know, start up another church. That's all it is. End of story. If you're called, you're anointed. That's it, man. Okay, so watch now. He says a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In other words, he's saying all these people that are coming to us are coming because heaven is sending them to us. Amen. Verse 28. <laughs> Let's see if I can do this. He says, you yourselves bear, wit uh, bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. See, isn't this incredible? He himself said, listen, I told you I'm not the Christ. If ever I miss a verse, somebody jump up and tell me, okay? All right, <laughs> okay? So he says, look, I told you I'm not the Christ. I know my place. Know your place. Did you hear what I said? Okay. Verse 29. He says, who, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, this is talking about the best man, okay? He says, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He's saying, listen to me. I am thrilled that people are going to him because my job was to point the way to him. And if they are coming to me and going to him, hallelujah, that's my ministry. That's what I'm going to be rewarded for. Nothing else. If I went and did something else, there'd be no reward for it. I'll only be rewarded for the things that God asked me to do. Regardless of what everybody else thought, well, John, you're so much better than Jesus. Or you're so much more dynamic. Or what? You know, people say stuff like this. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just making up stuff, okay? All right, okay? And they say all this to stroke his ego. And he was like, no, no, no. You don't get this, man. Heaven has called me. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He knew his place. <laughs> he knew whatever he got came from heaven, just like his calling. And he knew that but if he did his job right, they should all be going to Jesus. Amen? And then he says, verse 30, one of the greatest verses that there are, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. Wow, what an incredible man of God. He's telling this to his own disciples. He must increase. I must decrease. So much I could have said about that. 
Verse 31, he says, he who comes from above is above all. There. There it is. He says, he who comes from above. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word came and dwelt among us. He who has come from above is above everybody. Get this? And he says, he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of earth. He who comes from heaven is above all because he tells you things that only he knows, that he has seen, that he has experienced firsthand, which is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. See how the apostle John is tying it all together now? Just like Jesus said to Nicodemus, I've come from heaven, I'm telling you things that I know. You're guessing I know. And then John says, he who comes from above, he is above everybody because he's got knowledge beyond all of us. Don't argue with him. Where are we? Uh, okay, verse 20, uh, 32. Can we finish this? We've got a few more verses here. Okay. He says, what he has seen and heard that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. <laughs> he's, going, he's trying to tell us stuff, and everybody's rejecting it. Verse 33. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. See, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember Jesus said that? Okay. Verse 34, he says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. Now he's talking about Jesus. He's saying this one has been sent by God, and he has the Spirit without measure. This is unusual for this time, okay? And we're going to finish. All right, hallelujah. Verse 35, he says, The Father loves the Son. Just This is incredible. This is incredible. He says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. It's all in His hand. And then He says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Heck of a way to finish. (laughs) okay he's saying listen don't reject this receive it it's a free gift that's why if you reject it there's no way out if you had to fight for it if you have to pay for it if you you know and you said i tried god but i couldn't get there you'd have an excuse man is without excuse because it's free it costs god everything and he gives it to us for free did you hear that Hallelujah. Next time we come back, we'll go on and talk about a Samaritan woman. Jesus is going to now talk to a person almost the total opposite of Nicodemus. And we're going to see how he talks to her. Amen? And give us some insight into how to talk to different people. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. And we thank you, Father, for all that you are sharing and just revealing to us. We thank you, Father, for the Apostle John. We thank you for all the truth that we are receiving and that we make a conscious choice to take it to heart, to allow it to renew our minds and transform our lives. We thank you that this is a living word Because the author is alive. And everything that has been written down here 
you confirm your word with signs following. And as we go through this week, I thank you, Father, that if anybody has a need to have anything confirmed to them, that you will confirm it. Hallelujah. That they will know for sure. If their request is sincere, they will know. In Jesus' name, amen.